Father in heaven, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us, that by these words in our hearts, Lord, that you would be praised, that we would learn to love you, serve you, follow you, prioritize you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Good morning. My wife, Amy, has often said that if we were to make t-shirts uh, for each other, that mine would say, stick with the plan. And hers would say, go with the flow. Uh, by her wonderful natural temperament, Amy prioritizes fun. It's such a great quality. It's what so many of us love so much about her. And so if we are in the midst of uh, some plan or some uh, expected course of events and a better offer comes along, uh, Amy is going to be flexible with the plan. She's going to prioritize fun. And that is so great. Except um, <laughs> that by my natural temperament, I prioritize expectation. I like to know uh, what's going to happen. So if we've made a plan, then I know what to expect. Right? I know how to manage my time. And if a better option comes along, I don't care. Uh, you know, like, I just stick with the plan. And, and so once the decision has been made, it, it messing up the plan messes everything up. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Um, and I'm not supposed to use sermons as therapy sessions. But um, <laughs> at our best, Amy and I really complement each other well. But over the years, we've had some... We'll just say uh, wonderful and productive, sensible conversations uh, about when our natural priorities come into conflict. Those conversations usually end with me apologizing. But the truth is, um, I would, uh, there's just a lot of times where I would love to be more flexible and more fun. But there's just something about the way that I'm wired where that does not come naturally. Without some real... Uh, awareness, mindfulness, intention, prayer, it's harder for me to step back and, you know, go with the flow. Um, <laughs> just kidding. You know, do you remember that famous uh, frame in that uh, Pogo cartoon? It says, We've, uh, we have met the enemy and he is us. I am remind. oh, I, that was, I just said that. Uh, I uh, wonder... What sort of things you naturally prioritize? What do you naturally prioritize? Well, we are in the second of three weeks where we are talking about spiritual priorities. Or as we said last week, main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Right? But prioritizing Jesus, not just in a sense of uh, devotion, but in terms of actually putting our faith into action, doing what God wants us to do. Prioritizing Jesus uh, does not come naturally for any of us. Now, why is that? It's because we do what we want to do. In thought, word, and deed, we naturally are wired to prioritize ourselves. And so when I'm fighting to stick with the plan, and even a lot of times when Amy's disappointed, I won't go with the flow, the issue is not that one or the other is right. It's that we're prioritizing ourselves. Because we want 
what we want. And I'm not talking about like self-care, which is important, but I'm talking about self-serving, self-centeredness. And we all do it a lot. Because we think that if we just get what we want, then we will be happier, then we will uh, be peaceful, and then we will have what we want. And what I want us to see today is that moving from being self-centered to being centered on God's will actually brings us the happiness and the peace and the blessing that we've been seeking all along. And so we're going to start with our passage from Isaiah, and then we're going to get to the gospel passage. So the passage, as, as we have it in the bulletin this morning from Isaiah, seems pretty straightforward at first glance. I mean, if, if God said, seems to be saying through Isaiah that if you just do good, you avoid speaking evil, you feed the hungry, you help others, then you'll be blessed. Right? The Lord will guide you continually. He'll satisfy your need in parched places. He'll make your bones strong, which sounds like a great offer, and you will be like a watered garden. But if we were to go back a little earlier in the chapter, uh, what we would see is that this is not merely God's good advice to the Israelites to be good people. This is uh, correcting a pretty dramatic and I think familiar to us spiritual problem. Isaiah is speaking to people whose religious practice is strong. Lack of religion not the problem. Right? They're in church every week. They're going to synagogue. They're making all the sacrifices in the temple. They're observing the religious feasts. They're fasting from food and wearing uncomfortable sackcloth, itchy, scratchy sackcloth on solemn days. Like they are religious. And they're also confused. Because all that religion their cultural moment does not seem to be working. Because they're, they're checking all the religious boxes, but God isn't making their life any easier. Like he's, he's not kicking their adversaries out of the land. He's not sending rain for their crops or boosting their economy. What's going on? And they complain, Lord, why are we fasting but you don't see it. Why are we humbling ourselves, but you're taking no notice? And I think, at least on some level, we can understand their complaint. I mean, in their, uh, their religion has become transactional. So I go to church, I put some money in the plate, I offer the right sacrifices, I do the right stuff, and then God will be happy, and he will give me what I want. Transactional. And in that broader culture, that region, that made perfect sense to them. Because every other religion, all the local religions, they all work like that. Like if you wanted to win your battle, then you better make a sacrifice to your god of war. Or if you wanted rain for your crops, then you needed to make a sacrifice to the god of the sky. Or whatever it was. And the Israelites have been seeing that, but, and they've been starting to work like that, but now they're confused. Because to them, they're checking the boxes, and they're burning the animal sacrifices, and they're doing the religious stuff that's supposed to make God happy, and yet God doesn't seem to notice. And God retorts through Isaiah, you, you, think, you think that I just like the smell of barbecue. 
right? That's a loose translation. But, um, yeah, I don't, it's not, I don't like just, just want to know that animals are, are being sacrificed. I, the religious activity isn't to appease God. It's to change the hearts of the people. It's to cultivate the hearts of the people to look like God's heart. And as it is, they're doing all the church stuff, but they leave the temple and they go and mistreat their workers. Or they step over the homeless on the street without a thought. Their home life is characterized by fighting. And on and on. They've missed the point. They are trying to placate God, not partner with God. They are consumers of his blessing, not distributors of his mercy. They have not kept the main thing, the main thing. And that is so easy to have happen to all of us. God's will is that we love him and that we love others, but our natural tendency is to prioritize ourselves. And that tendency is so strong that even our religious activity can become a way to serve ourselves. In my first church, I led a group of men through a book. It was you know, like a Bible study. We took a break and read this book. It was a book about loving our wives. I mean, it's, you know, it was a pretty good book. And, and one of the premises of the book was that uh, the only way to change someone's heart was not by demand, but, but to give them grace, the unexpected love. And, you know, one of the guys kind of seized on that, and he came back the next week, and he was fuming mad. He said, this stuff does not work. Because I've been giving my, great, my wife grace all week, and she hadn't changed a bit. She's still spending too much money. He wasn't giving her grace. He was trying to manipulate her behavior. Now, he might have been doing stuff that looked on the surface like love, but he was not ultimately trying to serve her. He was serving himself. And it wasn't working after seven whole days. And he was upset. The great reformer Martin Luther observed that human beings find it impossible to escape the gravity of self-interest. Such that we use not only physical but spiritual goods for our own purpose. And I wonder if we might be brave enough to see where in our lives, maybe, maybe deep down, where we are checking religious boxes to manipulate God into giving us what we want. So we've seen the enemy, and he is us. I think that God is saying through this Isaiah passage that if we get out of our own way, if we align our heart with his heart, if we let him become the lens through which we live our lives, we really tend to the plights of others as he would have us, then our eyes will be open to see that he's already pouring out blessing all around us. But how do we do that? How do we align our hearts with his heart when the gravity of our self-interest is so strong? How do we get out of our own way? To begin to answer that, let's turn to the gospel. And Jesus, in this 
passage from Luke is interacting primarily with two people. One is a hunched over lady. One is a weaselly synagogue ruler. And it's the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. It's a day given by God to set aside work for refreshment, for rejuvenation, for life. The Sabbath was a gift from God, but, it, but keeping it was a big deal. In fact, it was one of the Ten Commandments. And, and so to ensure that everyone would keep the Sabbath, the synagogue rulers over through the decades, through the centuries, had, had made lots and lots of rules to help uh, restrict work and movement. So, for instance, you could only walk so far. You couldn't prepare food. You had to do that the day before. You could not make anything or be creative in, in any way. In other words, the focus had shifted in their consciousness about the Sabbath from receiving God's rest to avoiding God's wrath. And so Jesus is always getting in trouble on the Sabbath. So he comes across this woman in the synagogue who for 18 years has been pained with a spine that's out of alignment. Muscles overstretched in her back and her neck, too weak to hold her up. No way to fix herself or help herself. And mercifully, Jesus does for her what she could not do for herself. He lays his hand on her and he heals her ailing back. And by his touch, her spine is lined up and her muscles are made strong. It's a, it's a miracle. I mean, how would we react if we saw such an act here this morning? But the synagogue ruler wastes no time on being amazed. Jesus has performed a creative act, and that is against the rules. Recent archaeological evidence suggests that the ruler may have been wearing a t-shirt that says, Stick with the plan. Surely, in his own mind, he, the synagogue ruler was protecting something that was holy, was sacrosanct. He was worried that if a commandment had been broken, that God would be upset. So he admonishes Jesus. That's a humorous irony that should not be lost on us, that he's berating God incarnate for violating the Sabbath by blessing this dear woman. The ruler had missed the point of the religious activity of keeping the Sabbath. His religion had become a means of control rather than a path to life. God graciously, Jesus graciously makes the hunched over lady stand up straight and shows that the upright leader is, spiritually speaking, hunched over. In fact, he is just as much in need of God's grace as the crippled woman. So how do we align ourselves, our, our hearts, with the heart of God? I think we begin by coming to grips with all the ways that we're hunched over and in need of Jesus' healing touch. And we accept the grace that however we are out of alignment and weak, that Jesus has come to declare us by his cross and resurrection, to be upright. 
the woman and the ruler are essentially in the same position. But one can see how she needs Jesus' mercy, and the other could not. So one received grace and healing and uprightness. The other remained locked in a prison of his own making. If we want Jesus to be the lens through which we view our lives, if we want our heart to be aligned with the heart of God, I think we open ourselves daily to the kind scrutiny of the Holy Spirit. We let the Word of God diagnose the gravity of our self-interest with specifics. We let the Son of God, through His death and resurrection, deliver us again and again from all the ways that we are hunched and re-hunched in on ourselves in our spirits. And receiving such grace we may begin to walk down a path of joyful self-forgetfulness. Prioritizing Jesus. Worshiping God for God's own sake. Seeing things the way that He sees them. Loving the things that He loves. And then finding happiness and peace and the blessing that we're trying to create for ourselves all along. Amen.